Today on the We Invested podcast, we have Solomon Floyd, the owner of Reunion Investments and Passive Income Professional. Solomon, how are you doing today? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining. Man, we were having a great conversation before we started recording, man. And I got the chance to learn a little bit about you and, you know, see that you're a super great guy, man. Super awesome guy. Um, achieved a lot, done a lot. And uh, it's an honor to have you here with me. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. It's awesome. Great. Glad to see uh, some young black podcasters out here making it happen, making it making it rain, man. So thanks for having me on here. It's a great, great time to be on here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And before we get started, would you mind just letting the people know how they can find you on the Internet, your websites or social media? Sure. So, yeah, you can find me uh, on LinkedIn, Solomon Floyd, S-O-L-O-M-O-N-F-L-O-Y-D. You'll find me there. You can also find me at SolomonFloyd.com. And if you are interested in speaking with me after this, you can actually use my booking link, BookSolomonFloyd.com. Uh, makes it super easy for everybody to find me. So you can ask me any questions you got. Book a 15-minute call, 13-minute call, book an hour call. Uh, I'll make the time for it and we can talk and discuss and continue going in depth. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So let's just start from the top, man, and talk a little bit about, you know, where you're from and where you grew up. Yeah, where I'm from, um, I'm from all over. And uh, I grew, I say I was born in California. I grew up in Texas and then went back and forth during the summers to go visit my dad in California. Um, and in that time frame, you know, I didn't live a super lavish life. My mom was a single mom and barely a, an adult. My dad uh, had this family that was his other family, but they always welcomed me in like I was one of their own. And what I learned about living with the two people is that, uh, a two income household is always better than a single income household. <laughs> and I realized that there's a big reason why my mom didn't have, you know, the nicest car, or, like the nicest house. But my dad always had most of his stuff together, purely because there were two incomes supporting uh, at the time, three people. And then uh, kind of going back and forth during the school year, we'd always kind of end up moving between Dallas, Fort Worth, Austin, kind of just perpetual motion uh until we really kind of settled down back in dallas and then i went to this private school and they were like we need a black kid for the photos so you're in um and that led to me in dallas for pretty much the bulk of most of my like elementary lifestyle most of my elementary school time frame and middle school time frame it wasn't until my uh eighth year eighth grade year where i repeated eighth grade and went to boarding school in maine i'm sorry new hampshire um, did that for about two, three years and then ended up going to uh, boarding school in Maine. And then eventually college in Massachusetts, I dropped out my freshman year and moved right back home to Texas and kind of been here ever since. Man, you've literally been all over the country from the South to the West Coast to the Northeast. I mean, you've been everywhere. So, you know, how would you say that spending time in California and Texas and New Hampshire impacted your outlook on life and success? Yeah, so uh, Texas was weird. So living in Dallas was kind of, I lived in the outskirts or kind of lived in the ghetto or the hood until I started going to private school where I lived in the preppy part of town, the real nice part of town. It was like, oh, dude, this is how the other half lives. And so even going back and forth between there and California, what I liked about California was that, you know, that my dad was there. But as a child, I didn't even really like California all that much. Um, I always wanted to be back home at Texas where my friends were. And it was just beautiful weather. I knew everybody. My dad lived in a super small town. So I was like, eh, no, nah, <laughs> I don't like this place. Um, and then going to New England, very different, but all these different experiences, all these different places really showed me that 
there is always the same. You got the people who have kind of everything provided for them, no matter what. And then you got the people who don't have everything provided for them. And it's crazy because no matter what, they're always going to build for the people who have more versus the people who have less. And that was a very early lesson that I learned um, and kind of put into play a little bit sort of in boarding school and in college. And then as I started building in real estate, kind of realized like, oh, there's like a whole niche of people that just completely get ignored. I'm going to focus on them. And that's where my focus has really always been as a building for people who need what I sell instead of people who want what I sell. There's a really big difference there. Mm. I mean, that's an interesting business model, man. I mean, it's something that's not done enough, I believe. Um, you know, there's always like an underserved market or an underserved audience in like basically everything, especially here in America. So, I mean, like, how did you come to that realization that this is what you wanted to do and this is what you wanted to focus on? Yeah, I was in the military. And uh, the first thing that most people do in the military, most of your instructors, you know, when they're not yelling at you is uh, they tell you how good or bad the Air Force is or the, the branch that I was in. And a lot of them were like, yeah, these are the top bases you want to go to. These are the top jobs. The jobs that have this are going to have so much fun. The jobs that don't have this are just going to be awful. And so I listened to it. But the other things they're telling me are like, your housing is free. Your meals are paid for. If you get married, you get this much money. If you have a kid, you get this much money. When you deploy, you get this much money. And I kind of started putting two and two together like, wow, this is really a lot of money for somebody who's kind of coming into money for the first time. Military members, at least enlisted, are, are mainly like kids, 19-year-olds, 18-year-olds, some 20-year-olds, but majority, they're, they're children, first-time kids living on their own. Um, in basic, they don't let you leave your little barrack area, um, not until much later. And then you leave and you get to walk around the military base and you're like, oh, this is bad. And it's bad because it's from the 40s and the 50s. Like, this is old property. This is old stuff. And so you kind of expect the area around the military base to reflect that old, cheap, gross, beat-down properties. Um, they're in the ghetto, right? They're, they build military bases in the hood. And what I realized was nobody was focusing on building homes for these military members close to the military base. Everybody wanted to keep their homes kind of separate, and all the developers were focusing on their one little area, right? Um, it wasn't until I got to my first duty station, Shepard Air Force Base in Wichita Falls, Texas, where I could see it. Well, there's three things you got to know about military members. One, they get paid to live. So they get BAH, basic allowance for housing, BAS, basic allowance, basic allowance for sustenance, and then they get their VA loans. So a free home, free food, free rent. That's how you got to kind of think about it if you do it right. But there are no builders, there are no investors. Everybody's got their heads so far up their asses in Dallas and all these primary markets like, I'm going to be an apartment investor. And seeing that, it lets you know that, you know, they're only catering to the people who can afford to live in apartments in primary markets, whatever that means, right? They're building what people want, not what people need. And in that, I was like, okay, well, here's my opportunity to go and, and try something. Um, so we started, you know, wholesaling homes, started flipping homes, started renting homes just to test the market and then testing the market, it was like success, man. Like these people are buying what we're having. They're leasing our homes. They're they're actually committing to our properties because it's the nicest thing around. Don't get me wrong, I didn't go over the top, but I didn't I didn't cheap out either. And with that, I feel like there was some of that respect back and forth. Of like, I'm gonna respect you enough to make a property rentable for something you can afford. And you're gonna, and for them, right? Like, okay, well, I respect you building something for me. I'm, I'm gonna make sure that that's the first thing I lease. Um, and that's sort of how we came into our niche and kind of came into our focus of like, how do I identify people who need what I serve? Like, 
kind of just got to go out and ask them. And if you're paying attention, right, if you're not looking for, you got to look for the inverse. And you and I were talking about this earlier, but you got to look for the, the contrarian aspect. If everybody's building apartments for A-class properties, well, who's building apartments for the Section 8 and like affordable workplace apartments? Nobody. Nobody's doing that, right? You can't. The metrics aren't good enough. The land's too expensive. It costs too much to build it. And by the time you get up there, like your investors are going to want their money back because they're not making anything. Um, so you always got to think about that other aspect of like, where can I build this and who's going to use it? Um, always think about that, right? The people who are getting kicked out of their homes for the other guys that come in and buy their property and build on top of it. So somebody from California can move in and, you know, live there for $600,000 a duplex. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and I think that's a great segue into my next question, man. And, you know, I want to talk about this company and this brand that you've built up until this point. And I want to ask, what is Reunion Investments? Yeah. So Reunion is uh, more of a real estate services company, but ultimately my holding company for any of our deals. So Reunion will go, it'll purchase the property, it'll get it zoned and titled. Um, pull nine yards, and then we will raise money to build the property. Generally, while we're under construction, um, purely so our investors don't have to wait. A very good thing about Reunion is uh, you don't have to ever invest with us prior to construction starting. If you do, then we'll give you a better return. But generally speaking, we don't want you to have your money locked up for a year if, if that's the worst case scenario. Um, from there, Reunion has evolved into our, our other company, Archway Development, our construction arm. That allows us to build and kind of actually maintain uh, vertical and horizontal integration um, to ensure that we keep our pricing in check and we're not reliant on these other uh, contractors for for doing things. Because I only focus on tertiary markets, I'm always having to worry about who's going to go two and a half hours outside of Dallas, right? My plumber's not, my HVAC guy's not. No one is going to go out that far, especially a couple of months ago when everybody was really seeing Dallas as the as the proper place to be. Now it's a little bit different, right? Now I can sub some of my work out to these guys whose work is slowing down and, you know, I'm not a petty person, but I'm like, oh, now you want to work for me. Um, bring them in, let them actually come and do their work. And then, you know, they all end up leaving. But uh, that has been a very big portion of our growth is being able to be horizontal, horizontally and vertically integrated, as well as then starting our fund, our union variable income fund, which is the sort of long-term vision of reunion itself where reunion starts the project archway builds the project and then our vpp our fund um takes the project on in a three five year or ten year time frame um so that way we have low debt on these properties investors can benefit from either the fund or the properties themselves but they still get the aspect of ownership without having to really worry about the ins and outs of trying to find their deal, build the deal. It's primarily designed for new investors and seasoned investors who are looking for that ideal return with passive income. Bro, you're a genius, man. Oh. You've, you've oh. figured out you figured out how to keep everything in house. I mean, that's that's an incredible business model, man. If I do say so myself, like <laughs> almost everything. I haven't I haven't I don't have a lending arm yet. Yet. Yeah, exactly. But it's coming though. It's coming. I mean and you know one thing I wanted to ask too is like the, the level of comfort that the investors have in that peace of mind, knowing that, okay, typically he won't, uh, typically I won't need to invest before 
the project or the development is underway. So it's like they don't have to play that waiting game to see like, okay, well, this messed up or this happened. Like they're investing with the basically with the proof already there. The proof is already in the pudding. And that's what I love about it because it's just like an additional peace of mind, additional security for the investors to know that like I can see what I'm investing in. I can drive by it. I can touch it. This is where it's going. That's it. That's exactly it, right? But, you know, don't get me wrong. It's two and a half hours away from most of my investors. It's entire cities and continents away from some other investors. So it's all about establishing that comfortability um, with, one, the market. And just like, again, you and I have been speaking, a big premise of all three companies is investor education, right? Like, I'm not a big salesy guy. I'm just, again, the contrarian aspect. Like, why go out and try to buy this flip in this primary market if you could just invest in a real estate fund and make X amount percentage per year or invest in a REIT or uh, invest in a syndication and minimize your risk into your first deal, establish your passive income and then go and buy the deal. No one's saying don't go buy the deal. I'm just saying start where you get paid first. Um, and that's a big, big thing for us is focusing on making sure that your downside risk is protected. What I mean by that is why wait a year when you can just wait six months for construction? If you're waiting through the development process, the zoning process, like you're in it for the long haul. And do you want your money sitting on the sidelines for that long versus I'm just going to give it, I'm going to give it six months. I'm going to give it nine months. And now I have a property that I own whatever 35% in, 55% in, 65% in, or I've got this fund that's allowing me to invest today and get returns tomorrow. So a little bit of a mix to make sure that we're catering to the investors who want to grow, but also making sure that I can provide as many homes as possible to my niche because realistically, I mean, they're the most important aspect without them. None of this works. Absolutely. So how did you, how, how did you go about like gaining and increasing your business acumen to like creating such a, like a, a great business model? I mean, was it, was it through podcasting, networking, real life experience or a mix of everything? I mean, like, how did you, how did you get to this point? Oh, um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I built my entire business again off of the education piece. So the first thing I had to do was educate people on the three different types of mark. Sorry, can you hear me? I can hear you. Awesome. I said primary, secondary, and tertiary. Um, I need to educate people on what that meant. While a lot of people were only focused on like Dallas, like I'm going to be in a primary market because that's where I live, which I think is a bad way to invest. But regardless, um, I had to educate them. So I started throwing these events called Cigars and Real Estate. Um, investors would show up, they'd buy a cigar, they'd buy some whiskey, or I'd buy some whiskey, and then I'd bring some pizza so we could all sit and talk. At the beginning, the events itself are just people looking for another place to go and kind of talk. But I ended up running into some of my mentors there who heard what I had, loved the idea, and were able to guide me through how other lenders were going to see it, how insurance people were going to see it, how uh uh how you know an appraiser was going to see this and kind of build the deal from the standpoint of if i build everything else and i don't give people a reason to say no then it's much easier to just say hey well you know i already had the lender lined up i already have the wholesale deal lined up i already have the contractor lined up i already know what the funding's going to look like we're going to use these 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 and these for funding for rehab for renovation we're going to burn it we're being able to utilize that and really have that knowledge that's what made it much easier. So that way, when the events got a little bit bigger, I could kind of be that center of attention and speak knowledgeably on this um, from the standpoint of my network of these people who are educating me. 
Well, that then kind of created deal flow where now I've got the new people coming in who are learning. And instead of me saying, well, that's with me today, it's like, well, listen, go get qualified with lender Y and see what happens when you come back, right? A week later, hey, I got qualified. What do I do next, right? Okay, well, why don't you go speak with a few wholesalers? Before you speak with me, go speak with a few wholesalers and see what you find, right? And you're going to want to use so-and-so as your analyst to make sure that your numbers work out, to make sure that your market is supportive. And I think in setting up that system, it was like, okay, well, Reunion is not really a real estate company. We're a real estate services company. We will provide you with what you need to grow as an investor. So that way, when you want to invest with us, you're ready. Um, and that's, I mean, don't get me wrong. It took a long time to build all that. And it took a lot of mistakes to build all that. But uh, it, it got built. And that's what we ended up utilizing as our main focus and footprint was, if you aren't experienced, that's okay. We're going to help you get experience. We're not going to discriminate against you, but we are going to point you in the right direction to make sure that by the time you invest with us, you know what your cash on cash return is, you know what your cap rate means, you know how to calculate the two, and for sure, you know the difference between a tertiary, primary, and secondary market. And those are sort of our biggest things right there that we really wanted to make sure that if you invest with us, you need to understand these things so that way you're not caught off guard when you're not like, oh, why isn't this like a big primary market? Like, because it's not a primary market. It's an entirely different set of people doing an entirely different set of things. What I admire... What I admire and respect the most is like, I feel like you're a true creative in that. Like you got really creative with real estate. And I say that in a sense of you created your own universe. You created your own space where people could come in, feel comfortable, have a drink, have a cigar and talk about real estate. You created like a space where you could build that foundation and lay down the groundwork and, and, um, you know, just go out there and like meet the people and really talk to them and get the chance to listen to them. So you built that networking universe, event space universe. Then you go on to build the universe where you can walk the investors through each step of the way. I mean, it's like it's extremely genius. And I think it's one of the I mean, yeah, it's one of the one of the the I don't know, man. This is awesome, though. This is awesome. <laughs> so, like, you know, it's, it's funny because I don't get a lot of this feedback. And what about that is like, well, doesn't everybody do this? And so when people nah. do come to my events and they're like, dude, I learned so much. I'm like, do you not learn a lot at your other events? Like, what do you what do you learn? So I started going to other events and kind of just seeing the lay of the land. And it's kind of concerning because, dude, some of these people are just like, buy my products, buy my thing, invest with exactly. me. And it's like, well, then where's the upside? Don't get me wrong. Like the return and stuff are cool. But I want to know if you know your stuff, which is. Do you know what type of loan programs that you're going to understand? Do you know what variable rate debt is, right? And if you don't know those things and you don't understand how they impact the investment, huh, like you got other problems before you invest. Your problem isn't finding the deal. Your problem is that you don't know what you're looking for. And you're going to go around chasing your talent circles until you understand that. I would say that most of the people who come to my events, who, who can invest with us or who just learn from us, right? Who learn from this network that we created um they're very much like okay i may not invest with you but i know what i'm gonna do after this and i'd much rather have somebody have that than invest with me any day of the week because that's knowledge or they can come back to the next event and i can say hey man how'd your apartment deal go how'd your townhome deal go oh dude it's going great we just started or we just finished i just sold them all or whatever and if they have problems the benefit is there's always somebody around that i can say hey go speak with that guy he can help you out with what you're looking for so who can invest with you who can invest with reunion investments is it only yeah. accredited investors is are you open to everyone what is what is the barrier to entry here yeah so with reunion um 
I guess anybody can invest. Each deal has its own little minimum investment. So the way it works is if I'm building 18 townhomes, you can hypothetically purchase the equity in those townhomes for, we'll call it $35,000 a townhome. $35,000 a townhome gets you 35% of the equity in that townhome. Obviously, if you invest more, then you can get more equity if you'd like, or you can choose two units, three units, however many units you want. Um, that's the that's the way we do that, and that's done through a joint venture. So, And those investors are put on the title. They are a member of the actual deal. They will be on the loan. Um, they are in that deal. So a little less passive, but ensure that you have equity in something. With that, um, at any point, you can say, listen, Solomon, this has been super fun, but I want to refinance you out and I want to own the unit 100%, then we let that happen. We can make sure that that gets to a point where we have investors or we have banks who can come in and exit me out or exit the investor out whenever that comes into play. Our whole times for those deals are typically uh, three years, five years, and 10 years. So you've got an option to be able to stay in for the long haul. Um, for those investors who are looking to not have to wait around six to nine months for their return back is usually it. We highly suggest utilizing our fund, rvpfund.com. Um, the reason why is because the fund generates income from day one. Uh, right now we have our promotion going on till April 1st, where you earn 15% each quarter on your money invested um, perpetually until you decide to stop it. Your money has to stay in the fund for about six months and then uh, you can do whatever you want with your principal. And realistically, it's a really good option for investors who are new. The minimum investment for the fund is $25,000. So it does have uh, an entry point that is for people who are serious. But ultimately, if you and your buddies all get together, form an LLC and invest twenty-five grand, you will be making that 15%. Anything after your first investment with us for the fund will be at the variable rate, which right now is 7.5% uh, per quarter. So either way, you're still looking at a pretty solid return every quarter, every year. Um, and again, and any other deals would, I think. So it's going to be a little bit simpler format than, than what I think most people are used to for real estate investing. So it's it's you can either invest while we're doing the deal, right? And that's a pretty high level move for most people. I mean, I usually don't have a lot of newcomers do that. I have a lot of newcomers do the fund because... I think it, it reduces some of that risk, but it also gives them that six month like, OK, I got six months to try this to see if I like real estate and then they can move on and grow. So it's all about building that comfort level with the investors as best as possible. Absolutely, man. I mean, in six months is not a bad lockup period for the funds. I mean, at all. Um, but, you know, a vibe or like a theme that I'm getting from this conversation, man, is that you have the abundance mindset. Like I, I, I really get that feeling like you don't mind helping others win. You don't mind letting people refinance you out of the deal so they can own it 100%. I mean, and that's the first time I've ever heard anyone anyone say that. It's like, I don't know, where where does that come from? Where, where Like, what's the vision behind that? Just like giving the investors that much freedom, that much power. I mean, I think it's incredible. Um, I don't even know, know if it's about that. I think it's more just like there's plenty of money to go around. And realistically, you know, Let's say you want to invest and you want to own that unit 100%, by all means. That's why we give you 35% equity. I'm going to be okay. If I'm building 18 units and you've only invested in one, I've got 17 other units. And if I get exited out of all 18 units, then that means I can go buy another 18 units and go get started. And I'm 28, so I'm not in a hurry at all. <laughs> um, and, I, and I don't think that 
I don't think that there needs to be this stinginess or greediness. And I, I don't really, at least from what I've seen, knock on wood, I haven't seen that a lot in, in our real estate network and my real estate group. Like a lot of us are, hey, where there's room, there's room. We can let you in. We, we don't have, we don't share any secrets, hold anything back from each other. Because I think that's exactly it. Like rising tides lift all boats. And that's how a lot of us, and, and again, our group and the people who work with us, a lot of us understand that. Like I can't, tonight, real estate is 90% people, 10% property like <laughs> realistically it's 10 the property is 90 people so why would you want to be around people who are holding secrets and not trying to let you in on their secret sauce like if there's that much scarcity in this game i don't want to be a part of it i don't want to be a part of it i want to go someplace where it's abundant man and i think if you can change that and you can look at again there's three different markets primary markets oversaturated everybody lives there secondary markets still saturated but good enough to make some money on the commercial side the warehouse side the storage side right Then you get your tertiary markets where you can make money out of thin air, man. And it's that simple. In my market, my properties cost us maybe 25 grand to purchase for the land for one lot that I can bulldoze and build three homes on. Yeah, man, we're going to have a good time. We're going to have a great time with that because our cost basis is nothing. Our construction cost is low. And then we end up selling it for an affordable price underneath $300,000 where all of the investors make their money. And that's a, a great feeling. I don't feel like I'm gingerfying a neighborhood or kicking people out. I feel like I'm, you know, keeping everything in an affordable nature. Don't get me wrong. There's some people that get moved around, right? The, the crystal methanies and the crackhead billies, those people get moved around. Um, but, you know, that's to come with real estate investing. Ultimately, the idea is like, I can say, hey, go to that neighborhood. And in three years, I will see you again. I'm going to develop everything around you. And in three years, I'm coming for you. So that way they have three years of affordability. And I try to make sure that I do that as much as possible before I target one area, three years of affordability. So that way they have plenty of time to save, get ready, get moving. And that's when I can bring in new jobs. I can bring in, and you know, new jobs for me are, you know, baristas, uh, uh, waiters, waitresses, a lot of restaurants right now, but soon to be a lot of commercial properties, a lot of um, warehousing, a lot of driving. So we're bringing in some more specialties, but with that, right, comes the development side of what I do, I have to be able to slowly bring up the market in three years, I think, is plenty of time for that to come through the pipeline for some of those people. So that way they don't feel like they're getting boxed out entirely. It's like, hey, if you're low, low, low income, super high risk, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you the seven block radius, right? Squared, basically. You can just, I'm gonna give you the square. This is where you guys are gonna be for now until I can build something that's gonna fit you guys down the road for those of you who want to get your act together. You don't want to get your act together. The next neighborhood is over there. Give you another three years. So you give everybody the choice. Man, you're thinking on such a big scale, bro. And it's like <laughs> you're solving these problems, right? That are like these huge problems that people don't want to necessarily think about because it's it's a third tier tertiary market. Like people don't even want to, you know, bother with it. But you're thinking about the you're thinking about how can I uplift this economy as a whole not just make myself rich not just get the investors rich but i also want to revitalize this economy bring jobs in you know what i'm saying bring some some money into into the into the county into the city and i love that but you know i want to ask what are some investment qualifications or requirements for you when you're looking at um you know a, a new town to build in or when you're looking at an existing apartment unit apartment complex that's pretty run down like what are some things that you need to check off your list before you move forward with that purchase 
Sure. So you have to think about uh, each aspect of real estate in your little toolkit as as a, as a piece, as a tool in the toolkit. It's really it. Think of each real estate. So um, the first thing I think to myself is, can I start off wholesaling here? And the reason I ask that is because I alone, back in the day, I alone could not lift an entire market by myself, right? Don't get me wrong. I could buy three $25,000 properties at a time, but I needed, I needed $125,000 properties in order to make sure that I could effectively bring the comps up, bring the rent up, bring the market up. I needed a hundred of them. So my question that I asked first is, can I wholesale here? Right. If I can wholesale here, that means that anybody else can wholesale. So if I bring two wholesalers and they start bringing investors and they have a lender lined up through my lender network or whoever's lender network, the builder lined up primarily through my company or, um, you know, insurance, all that. So I can create a complete deal for somebody, start wholesaling it to the wholesalers, right, giving them inventory to go move. And then I can start focusing on, all right, well, if I sell off this entire block, I can then bring in the commercial aspect. Now, this is the strategy for how I approach a market, but how I think I'm going to invest in a market, I target a few different things, primarily a tertiary market because land is cheap. Two, um, the people can afford to live there and I don't have to worry about this crazy primary market pricing fluctuation. Um, I get a very nice steady just curve or a very straight line. Either one is fine with me um, to the point where I don't need to go in and worry about having all this competition. That's my other big thing. So. I operate in the rules of what I call the zero competition theory, which mean as long as I'm sort of the only big game in town who can go up and buy all the land, buy up all the homes at once without fear of a big name company coming in and swooping up everything, that means I know I can control my, my pricing throughout the market. And development is a long game, not a, not a short game. So what this process looks like is five years of steady increase steady increase steady increase steady increase because the moment i go all the way up to the max right like i've priced everybody out of the market my investors are pissed because i can't sell anything or i can't rent anything so it's always got to be steady i will bring in other investors once we have inventory that is renting and then we will flip that inventory that's rented in the one percent rule so now i've got an entire all 100 homes right now i've got all 100 homes that i bought for 25 grand now being flipped for 110, 115, 112. If their rent's $1,200, $1,500, you get what I'm saying. So now we have these higher price points where now the market looks a little bit better on lending paper to the point where a lender can now say, oh yeah, I'll perk up on that. Sure, I'll do some hard money loans on that. Get a local partner in the market. And so there's another criteria. How many local banks or how many local credit unions are going to be able to work with us on this? Um, that's huge because those local relationships mean that you're there for the long haul and they're going to really... I don't want to say they're going to fight for you. I don't know that that's ever been a thing that's happened for me, but I think in the sense like they'll just offer you really good terms. Like right now in Wichita, if you go to Wichita Falls and you are interested in investing in a place like that, you can go to Union Square Credit Union. And right now for some of these properties, they're doing 75, 85% financing for loan to value, which is really big because you can buy the property for 25 grand thanks to the work of many investors and myself and uh, a few outside influences the average property price has gone up from like 75,000 to 115. And again, that's that's five years worth of work right there. But with that, that is the average price of the property in the market, which means you can still buy for 25 and now you can afford to put a little bit more money into it to rent it or flip it down the line. So those are just some of the different things we look at. The, the other big, 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 big thing I look for is what is the government source of income? What I mean by that is what is subsidized? Military bases, prisons, uh, any sort of mining or oil and then farms. 
those are the only things that really come out of tertiary markets, period, anyways. But if you think about it, uh, primary markets don't grow their own food. So the tertiary market is always going to have people who can afford to pay their rent as long as the people in the big primary market really enjoy eating food. And as long as that's the case, they're going to have to get it from mainly their tertiary markets. Some of it will come from out of state. Some of it will come from out of the country. But for the most part, the majority of the food that you eat comes from a tertiary market, meaning as long as you go to Sprouts, Trader Joe's, whatever you have in your market, dude, you are literally keeping and supporting those markets alive. And that is key because that's a, that's a very low risk for some people. What happens if there's a beef shortage? Well, I mean, you know, they're still going to pay their rent. I guarantee it because rent is only nine fifty, and most tertiary market people are very good about paying their rent on time and having savings. It doesn't really happen that much in urban areas because the cost of everything just keeps rising incredibly. But as long as you can keep a constant in a tertiary market, um, that's the other thing we look for is can we keep a constant? If the prices fall today, right? Am I going to be mad if my $25,000 lot drops at $20,000? No, I won't be terribly mad. But I'll be mad if my $250,000 lot drops to $25,000. It's the same lot, just in a different city. And that's where people fall into traps and fall into trouble um, in real estate investing is they look for the bigger number, the bigger target, the bigger ticket, and they try to inflate it themselves versus letting the market dictate. Man, that's a cold game. Hey, look, that's a cold game. Look, you you handing out real gems, man, actionable <laughs> items. And the coldest party is like, it sounds... it. It sounds crazy, but like the really successful people in life, the really successful entrepreneurs, that five-year plan is a like a requirement. It's already known. So like a five-year plan in the when you're dealing with millions of dollars, that's nothing. You know what I'm saying? But to hear how locked in you are, to hear how like you've studied this, like, bro, yeah, this is inspiring, man. This is motivating me right now. Let me ask you this though. What are your thoughts on investing outside of the state that you live in? I love it. I think it's a smart move. And I mean, again, like I don't live in any of the markets that we invest in at all. What do I do? I rely on solid property managers. Like, again, the whole idea is um, plenty of wealth to go around. So I could let a big property management firm try to manage this property that's two and a half hours away and they're not going to do a good job. Why are they not going to do a good job? Because... They have no experience in tertiary markets and they're going to be like, well, the rents aren't there for us to make our money. Like, then you're doing it wrong. <laughs> right. But they have an office to pay for in a primary market. They've got people to pay for who live in a primary market and all these different things. So that cost really adds up based on the market. Um, if you look at it, you just use the local people who have already been doing all right. Sure. They may be a little mom and pop or you may not be able to understand them, but as long as they can get the homes rented, who cares? So, I mean, yeah, I feel like investing outside of your market, investing outside of where you live, that's a smart move because you may not have to live there, but somebody else does. And when I say that, I mean, somebody else does. If pricing affordability has been driven out of the market like it has um, in a very long time, then yeah, somebody has to live there no matter what. It doesn't mean that you can't invest there. It just means like, hey, these people need homes. And if as long as they need homes, I'm in business. What was the first real estate deal where you knew like, okay, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. This is, I'm going to make this a full-time career. Can you bring me back, take me back to that, that first big deal or that first deal where you knew like I need to make a career out of this? 
Sure. I guess it really wasn't the one. It all kind of happened simultaneously. So the story kind of always changes. But the, the, the basics of it is I found a property. I found some investors and I was like, hey, let's go buy these properties. I wholesold them. I was the first big amount of money I think I'd ever made before. It's like $15,000 assignment fees on three properties. So I was living big. <laughs> um, I thought I was on the king of the world. Um, I let my cousin renovate the properties and he took off with all their money so that was number one um now at the time i was also wholesaling other deals so i held some other deals and those kind of all came into play and i was just trying to test right if these properties get finished will somebody rent them the answer was yes and my thought was you know well let me see how nice i can make the property and how much i can charge for rent and i kind of got real close to the line of charging you know like $1,200, $1,500 a month for properties, which was really high for that market. Um, so I kind of knew where my top threshold was. At that point, the other big thing I started focusing on was, all right, let's buy these small homes because these are small, small 1950s, 1940s homes. Let's get rid of them, the shared bathroom, right? Let's get rid of these old, tiny uh, garages that are obsolete. I mean, talking small. Um, and then let's focus on pushing as many people as we can into these properties. Not like, you know, cramming them in there, but I could make a two bedroom house and I have two master bedroom suites. If they get a big kitchen to share, a big living room where they get to have their own side of living room and they get their own washer and laundry, uh, washer and dryer. Well, with that model, I get to make 950 per room instead of 950 a month per house. And at that point it was like, my investors were losing their minds. Like I'm making a, a 40% cash on cash return. At that point I had no clue what the numbers meant. I was like, sure, yeah, you don't make that anywhere else. Like, again, me thinking to myself, like, this is how real estate is. This should be super easy. But no, man, I'm like going to Dallas and people are like, <laughs> people in, in Dallas at the time are like, the average cash on cash return is 4%. Like 4%? No, no way. 4%? That's low. Turns out the average cash on cash return in a place like Dallas, Texas is quite literally like 6%, man. And that's super low to me because why? They're paying so much for property. So when I realized that um, my investors kind of started flocking to me, started bringing their friends, like once you kind of make 40% every single month, you're like, I'm telling everybody. And exactly. that kind of started blowing up a little bit. Um, I got a little too, just a little too into that and tried to do a little too much, kind of got away from my core roots and kind of meeting the invest, started meeting the investors I didn't want to meet. The guys who were all about like, well, I have a Lamborghini. Like, I don't care about your Lamborghini, dude. Like, I'm trying to do something for these people out here. Um... And I started meeting as the sort of the, the bigger I got in my status, the more people I met, it was like, well, we're investing in Dallas because of all of the growth. And it's like, what about all the poor people? And I remember the responses were like, what about them? Or and or like, so like they can move someplace else. Like they can move to Wichita. And I was like, oh, that's a really good idea. And we started building homes. And in that time frame, it wasn't like we were building one home. We were building like two, three, four or five homes at a time to test. Between my military members, the members who lived in Wichita at the time, and then the people getting kicked out of their homes in Fort Worth, Denison, Sherman, man, we, oh, man, could not keep it down. It was like every home that went up, by the time it was finished, it was on the market for like no more than 15 days and then poof, gone. And I didn't realize that, you know, all of my homes being built underneath 300,000 was super hard to find anywhere else. And uh, I just kind of rode with that. And that's kind of always been our mission is, try to be the the peak of affordability. So our, our most expensive product is 
that's a 2,500 square foot duplex. So that's a big house for some people. You see what I'm saying? Right? Like, yeah, I'm moving to Wichita. I'm moving to Wichita. Exactly. <laughs> Where else are you going to find that? Um, and again, it's only because I bought the land for maybe like $800 to be able to actually have that and then build this product where people can actually live, afford, and have really good pricing. Um, I kind of ultimately turned into sort of the first set of builds, the second set of builds. And now that's pretty much all we do exclusively is we build. We don't do a lot of renovations anymore. Um, in fact, what I did was in order to boost the market, I bought the lots back from those investors who bought them over and over and over again. Because realistically, all I did was just flip the same inventory over again after two, three, four, five years, just flip the exact same inventory because I needed to keep that pricing up. Well, I eventually bought all those homes back. I tore most of them down and started building on top of them. The rest of them I converted into the fund. And that is, that's been sort of the story of Reunion, Archway, and like RVPP are kind of all kind of together. Um, and that's been a pretty crazy, fun, scary, stupid, awesome ride. <laughs> <laughs> For those people who speak real estate, that is that is the terminology you'll probably use. So yeah, absolutely, man. And what emotions were you going through? Like, I mean, like, and that's that's where you can tell like the genius of something is like how simple it is to explain it. Like it, you just made it sound extremely simple. Like, oh yeah, I just bought it back and then just re, like just read it. It's <laughs> yeah, like, right. yo, but that plan sounds so simple, but it's like, how many people have thought about it and actually executed on that plan? and like have done it successfully and you can repeat that it's like a repeatable process so like i mean what 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 do you like you you even kill man you a cool laid back guy that's why I, that's what i respect about you but did you ever have a moment where you just like you driving home and you just going crazy like bro we just did that like we just went up yeah man the first <laughs> couple of times so the, the story of it all goes when i started showing investors wichita i had to build out the reasons why they had to invest in wichita I took a hundred people up to Wichita Falls, two and a half hours there, two and a half hours back. So what is that? Uh, damn near 500 hours in a car, right? And all 100 said no. Like, no, no way, not going to happen. Never, ever going to happen. Um, like in Vogue. And I told myself, 101, I'm, I'm going to quit. I'm done at the end. Well, 101, you know, I'm explaining everything up there. I'm not trying to over-explain. I'm just trying to leave it the mystery for him. But what I'm pointing out is like, you see that railroad? We're going to see where that, I want you to follow that railroad as we leave Dallas and go all the way to, to Wichita. Um, you know, I want you to count how many trucks are on the road. I, I'm trying to point their eyes to the economics outside of the city and sort of what's going in, what's leaving, what's coming back, you know, what, what's happening. Um, and so we get to, we get to the, we get to the market, you know, get some coffee. And he gets to see this coffee shop that's not a Starbucks. It's their own little brand because nobody wants to put a coffee shop down there, right? 300,000 people. Nobody wants to put a coffee shop. And he's looking at it like, all these people are like military and college students and nurses. And I'm like, yeah, man. He's like, this place is packed. I'm like, yeah, man. He's like, and it's $6 a coffee. I'm like, yeah, man. He's like, whoa. So we go drive around, show him some of the homes. We walk through a few of them. And... You know, he doesn't say anything. And I'm like, oh, man, he's going to say no, get back in the car. And we start driving back to Dallas. And I really don't say anything until we get like an hour on the ride. And I'm like, so what do you think? And he's like, I'm just thinking of where we start first. You know, like, where do I start first? Like, where do we invest first? Like, how do we get this moving? And I'm like, oh, man, no way. Yeah. And it was crazy because 101, I didn't sell. What I did was I educated. And that education was like, 
to that person, I think more valuable than the investment because he has invested with me so many times, but he's even gone off and done his own tertiary market stuff because, you know, we've spent so much time in the car together, just going back and forth on the phone. He's like, dude, so much opportunity here, here, here. So we become really good friends, really good partners. But that is the type of investor that I'm looking for, somebody who can be like, I want to learn it, I want to do it, and then I want to go apply it elsewhere because, like you said, it's so replicatable, so replicatable to the point where if I target a military base, military bases are almost cookie cutter in nature. I mean, not in design, but by economics um, that you could literally just go pick and choose and make really good money. Um, that's exactly what he did. Dude targets like six different military bases now and just goes out there. He's, he's my guinea pig for my other markets, basically, because he'll tell me how things are going. I'll be like, you know the deal, man. I'm going to come in right behind you. I'm going to buy up whatever you have and I'm going to let you go and do your own thing. And that's a way different feeling than trying to sell somebody. It's that that's somebody who's like, I see what we're doing. I understand it now. Like, and he really told me, he's like, never again will I invest in a primary market. Like, I'm done. I'm done. So, you know, that that's a good success story in my mind for for what it means to just truly, really kind of learn and apply what it is that I talk about. Because I talk about it, but not everybody wants to apply it. And when some people do, it's like, Look at you go, man. And so now I never have that fear of like my test of concept. That was always my biggest fear was like, these people are going to think I'm full of shit. <laughs> um, but I wasn't. And seeing it and then having it happen after all the setbacks and everything. So those are some of the stuff that made me really feel good. It wasn't really about closing the deal as much as it was. Somebody sees my vision. And then the benefit was my favorite thing was once the first couple of months of rent came in and they were like, every month every month i'm like dude this is like so where most people only make like 400 a month in, in a place like dallas these guys were making eight nine hundred dollars a month in cash and they were like let's do this again exactly <laughs> um and i love that feeling of just yeah man like let's get in there uh and then COVID happened and all of my investors who had properties with me uh they called me and they were like solomon like we need to invest more in, in, in Wichita. I'm like, whoa, okay. This is the opposite of what I thought I was going to hear. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, none of our tenants are paying rent in, in the big markets and we're just going to sell everything. And uh, same thing, big groups just started kind of pushing more towards a tertiary because my theory was right, right? Like they're always going to pay their rent no matter what, because there isn't going to be this crazy price fluctuation. The people in the primary market are still going to have to eat, right? The military members are still going to get their pay. Like, you know, it's really easy to track a COVID spread in a city full of 300,000 people versus 15 million. Um, and that was just one of the, the greatest calls I think I've ever gotten in my life was like, it worked so well. Because that's always been my marketing is like, be prepared for when the bottom falls out. And uh, I was like, all right, that works. <laughs> like, cool. All right. Let's go, man. Look, man, it's a black man winning right there. That's what yeah. I love to see. You know, that proof of concept, once you can finally be like, yeah, man, see, I'm not crazy. This is it. This is the one. You know? it, yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yep. But, you know, I want to ask, too, man, just to just to paint a full picture for everybody. You know, what are some of the roadblocks or the lessons that you've learned throughout your career in real estate? And uh, yeah, man. All right. First roadblock. Don't ever cheap out. If someone is trying to sell you a $45,000 rehab on a property that's 25 grand, it's $25,000 for a reason. Remember what I said earlier, right? The person buying it from you, leasing it from you, or owner financing it from you is going to have to make that choice between fixing the problem or paying their mortgage and or rent and or owner finance, right? 
So don't cheap out because you're, you're just passing the problem down the line. Sure, it's great to make the money in the long term, but you're screwing somebody over who's going to have to come and do something. They're going to sell that property and somebody else is going to have to come and you're not really doing anything. So pay for it. Make it right the first time. It's the biggest problem with housing in America. People cheap out on it. Um, the second thing that I learned was that it is a marathon, not a sprint. It's a slow game. Building a portfolio is a slow game. Building passive income is a slow game. Um, if you want it to happen quickly, you know, choose a REIT fund or a syndication or, you know, something that's not, um, that's a little bit faster, that's a little bit more established and can produce a little bit quicker for you. Those things are going to have minimum investments. So it's either save or invest. And you got to make up that decision um, in real, as, as you go. And the third biggest thing I learned is uh, it's not, it's not, you don't make, need to make a, you don't need to make a choice. You just need to make the choice, right? It's not, am I going to be a flipper or am I going to be a, a wholesaler or am I going to be a landlord? Do them all, but make sure that you have a solid foundation before you do them all. What I mean by that is, again, make sure you have your passive income set before you make that jump. Because what I see a lot of people do is like, I'm going to quit my W-2 and go flip homes. And it's like, oh, a bank's not going to like that. A bank's not going to be like, yeah, he just quit his job. Give him all the money he needs, especially now. They're going to look at how much passive income do you have? How much experience do you have? And again, you need to go out and learn these things. So the fourth thing I learned, your network is 100% your net worth. If you've got good lenders who can, they don't need to be your lender for everything. And this is going to be something a lot of you are going to have some time to really understand. You don't need somebody to be your lender for every deal. What you need is somebody who can educate you and advise you on the lending products out there, the different types of what that means. And someone who can really kind of say, well, if you get this interest rate, here's what's going to happen on the back end, right? You want someone who can help you navigate the landscape and paint as clear a picture as possible. So that way there are no surprises. Same goes for your insurance, same goes for your realtor, same goes for your property manager, same goes for your appraiser. You want to have those relationships so that way you are not caught off guard, your investors aren't caught off guard, and you're prepared. And prepared investors do better than unprepared investors every day of the week. So make sure you're utilizing your network. If you're not going to networking events, you're messing up. If you're not coming out of those networking events with four or more meetings every single month, you're going to the wrong events. Um, but you need to be meeting with these people and setting that time up. Uh, don't try to network on social media. That's for sure. Use LinkedIn. It's just a lot easier, way more professional, and you can actually learn a lot more, uh, less showboaty and more reading. So if you don't like reading, sucks to suck, but you're going to want to read on LinkedIn. I guarantee you. How do you define success as an entrepreneur, as a business owner at this point in your career? Oh, I don't know. Are you happy with what you do? I guess. I don't know. Like for me, it's more of like, do I get to, I don't know, the happiness for me is I built this on my own, right? And I built this. That's my happiness. It's like, oh, I built this. So whenever I have an off day or whenever we're in trouble or whenever we have a great day, right? Like I built this. And no matter what, all you can think about is if I did it the first time, I can do it the second time. If I've done it the second time, I can do it the third time. If I've done it the fourth time, I can do it the fifth time. So for those of you looking to become entrepreneurs, like failure is a thing that'll be shouted after the third time you've gone through failure and made it and pulled yourself back up. It's kind of a thing that's not even existent. All you know is work your ass off and hustle and uh, use that, use that and move that to your advantage because not everybody else is out there doing that. And because they're not out there doing it, we are. Absolutely. What is the future of reunion investments as well as these other companies and funds and construction companies uh -huh. that you've built, what does that look like to you? 
Yeah, so I've been really thinking about that a lot recently. And what that looks like, in a sense, is uh, one, me taking a step back as the main point guy for a little bit, um, especially when I start having kids. That's a couple years down the line. But uh, what Reunion actually is going to become is an incubator and and a movement for entrepreneurs looking to establish themselves in tertiary markets, right? Looking for uh, a place where they can grow and thrive and have franchises. So one, Reunion will become a franchise investor and allow people to grow franchises and take them to wherever I go build homes. So that way they are always in a market where they're kind of always appreciated and taken, taken into accountability for. The second thing comes down to... Uh, a leader in affordable housing. I think if Reunion keeps playing in tertiary markets and keeps operating in tertiary markets, we're going to make sure that people who felt that they were forgotten don't feel that way anymore. Um, whether that is through commercial property, job opportunities, opportunity zones, whatever, um, we're going to make sure that these people have sort of that that aspect of the American dream, which is home ownership and a decent living. What that means is educating those people and giving them uh, the opportunity to go to trade schools for free, right, as a part of a job training program. So what I've done in a place like Burke Burnett and Wichita Falls and a few other places, I've actually taken a few of the people who have graduated from high school who have wanted to just drop out and not go to college. They've come and worked with me for the summer. They've come and worked with me for a year. And then we've sent them to trade school. The idea there is send them to trade school after they're done and they get to their uh, tradesman uh, certificate, certif certificate or rating. Um, tradesman, yeah, not craftsman, just tradesman. Um, once they get there, then I can get them a van. They lease the van from me, basically. We send them on all their jobs. We keep it all the way equipped, and we make 15% of everything that they own. And that's again the idea of bringing that business back to America, bringing that back to reality. I think that's sort of where a lot of people are going to be able to benefit from reunion. And then the third thing, uh, yeah, man, it's going to be coffee shops. It's going to be <laughs> It's going to be daycare. It's going to be car washes. It's going to be everything that is currently lacking outside of the primary markets. Because like I said, nobody else is doing it. And because they're not, I, I am. Solomon, look, man, I'm behind you 10,000%, brother. I'm supporting <laughs> whatever you got going on. Whenever you. you got something going on, let me know. I'll be there to support it, man. Hey, thank you so much for your time today, brother. Look, you dropped a, a hundred thousand jewels today, man. And and gave people real actionable items and actionable steps that they can take, man. So thank you so much for your time, brother. I really Thanks for having it. me. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. It's been awesome. Absolutely, my brother.